Welcome to the Nicholas Brown Podcast, a podcast talk show about real estate investing, business leadership, and personal development. Each week, we explore current real-life case studies about how to build financial independence through investing in real estate to build your personal portfolio through passive income models, along with interviews from the top business leaders and personal development leaders. Now, here's your host, Nicholas Brown. Okay, welcome to the show, everyone. I want to get straight to the topic and all. I'm so excited and fortunate to get with this person here. He has went through it. Like I said, he's part of the person, the development, and he teaches leadership, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm just going to get straight to the point because we've pressed on time. But I'm going to do a brief read of his about section, then you'll get what, what I mean once I go in there. So his name is Dr. Tommy Watson. He's an award-winning author. And basically, I just want to cut it short. Because he's going to break down everything for you, ladies and gentlemen, for this podcast, this special podcast. And I just want to say thank you. Welcome to the show, Dr. Watson. Brother Nick, how you doing, brother? Appreciate you having me on, man. All right. I'm excited, man. I appreciate you. I want to give you all the time you need, man. So yeah, thank you, tell brother. us about yourself, man. Tell us what you got going on. Also, I'm excited. I'm excited for it. Well, Nick, <laughs> I, I definitely appreciate you, brother, and appreciate the work you're doing as well. Um, Dr. Tommy Watson, it's an honor to be on the show today. Um, what, what I'm currently doing, I've, I've written books and some other things here. Most recently, I've written a, a, a movie about my story, a short film back in 2019 that won uh, seven awards. And now I'm in the process of pitching my story to folks in Hollywood in which some of those pitches will be taking place tonight and throughout the year. So we'll see wow. what happens with that, you know. Um, and, you know, a little background on myself, um, Brother Nick. You know, I grew up in Denver, Colorado. My mother and father were drug addicts and shoplifters who were arrested 121 times by the time I finished high school. So that's 121 times? 21 times. You believe that, brother? Wow, yeah. man. So, you know, my siblings and I, man, we spent a lot of time in foster homes, crisis centers, motel rooms, uh, bouncing around from place to place. You know, just, you know, I tell people there's a difference between growing up in poverty and a difference between growing up homeless. You know, we spent a lot of time, you know, when you grow up homeless, man, you're not on the radar screen of a lot of folks. You're not on the radar screen of social services because my parents were doing illegal stuff, so they weren't, weren't getting welfare. Uh, we weren't on the radar of the school, so we couldn't get help, you know, because no one knew where we lived at. We were in those motel rooms mm. or what have you. And then even when I went off to college, being homeless as a senior, I was an All-American football player with, with a full-ride scholarship to University of Minnesota, Nicholas. And I was coming back home to Denver during breaks and vacations and didn't have anywhere to stay. I mean, I was literally, my friends would get on the, they would leave uh, Minnesota and go back home to Houston and Dallas and all these other places on a plane and be welcome back home. I was taking the 22-hour bus, Greyhound bus ride back to Denver mm. because I knew that during that 22 hours, it gave me a chance to at least sleep somewhere at mm. least one night. And mm. then on the way back, I would get a chance to sleep somewhere on the way back. But when I got home to Denver, a lot of times, even as a college athlete, I was having to find places to stay to kind of make do of my time. So um, I tell people, you know, my, my movie is called Resilient Below Poverty. People yeah. say, what's below poverty? I say homelessness below poverty. Yeah. Man, man, man. So you still stuck with, was your brother with you at that time when you would come back to visit? So, no, you know, um, you know, when I was growing up as a kid, man, we, we, we were separated a lot as siblings because yeah. me and the foster care, my two older sisters went to one place. My you know, younger brother went to, and the younger sister went to one place. We were separated from my younger sister for a moment as well. But we were also, um, um, I met my oldest brother by pure coincidence in a foster home in second grade. He was visiting the house we were at with another lady. Didn't even know wow. he was our brother. My two older sisters happened to remember him. Wow. He said, you're my brother. I mean, you're talking about mind-blowing situation here. As we got older, my, 
my little brother got heavily involved in gangs and um, attempted to shoot a kid in school, was shipped off, shipped off to juvenile prison. So he was actually in prison um, in juvenile system when I was back and forth in college. And, you know, when I get back home to Denver, man, I would, I would go spend a day seeing him, then I would go spend another day seeing my mom who's locked up in prison, mm. and then another day going to see my father who's locked up in prison. So a lot of my breaks and vacations were spent going to visit family members who were in prison. Let me ask you this, though. What, what, what gave you that, you know, being young, so I'm thinking you was in your 18s or 20s at that time, what made you want to get back with you, just go back and visit them, your, your parents, yeah. and not leave, live your life? You know what I mean? Yeah. Say, you say you're in college and all, so what, what, what gave you that? that yeah. Well, you know, they're, they're always my family, man. My mom was, you know, my mom was always my mom. My dad was always my dad. My brother was always my brother. I loved them dearly. It was unfortunate we went through what we had to go through. Um, and I forgave my parents for, you know, all the stuff we went through. But the other thing was, once I got older and started learning my mom's story, my mom grew up in a, abusive relationships. My, my dad was abusive towards her. You know, she grew up in foster homes. She was molested as a young kid, you know, and all this type of stuff. So um, she was doing the best she could with what she knew. Um, it didn't turn out well for us, made it tough for us. But at the same time, I had to get to a place to forgive them. And I was always yearning for that relationship. So, um, you know, I, I love my family members. I love them to death. Right. And, um, you know, that, that never, that's never changed. Yeah. Right. So you, you had a drive. So how'd you keep your grades up? To, so you got a scholarship, you got, you got a, yeah. to go to college on there. What, what kept you focused? That's what my key is. You know well, what I'm saying? You got something, you all, you know, you, you didn't live a regular life, man. You know, you as know, a teenager. When I was in high school, man, I mean, between my junior and senior year of high school, I lived in five different locations. My mom went to prison. My grandmother was my last legal driver. She was in nursing home. I was homeless for the last six months of my senior year of high school. And during my, my senior year of high school, my grades were horrible. And when I speak to people, I show them my report card from high school out of 1.75 the first quarter. Wow. 1.5 the second quarter. But I kept, but, and then I asked them to look at the, the line above that, which is um, absence and tardies. And there was zero. I kept going to school because mm. I knew school was going to be my way out. So mm. regardless of what was happening in my life outside of school, the you chaos. Showed up. You still showed up. I was showing up to school every day because I was in a neighborhood at the time that was being called Little Compton because in the 80s when the Crips and Bloods were leaving L.A., they came out to Denver. Mm. And my neighborhood was being called Little Compton, so it was saturated with gangs and everything else. But I said, this education thing has to be my way out. This, this, despite my grades and everything else, I got to get out of here through education. And that wasn't going to work. I was going to the military, but I was coming up out of that environment for sure, though. Well, people don't know once they read your book or once they see, they don't know that you became a principal. Am I right? Yes, absolutely. Trying to get a short version because your story, man, is it's just you went through so much adversity, man. But people don't know that you did not quit. You kept going, man. You still was determined. So you made those. You, you didn't miss any days, though, but was it something about, you know, why did you have a 1.25? You couldn't think at that time, or what, what happened? Well, think about it. I mean, most kids were going home to a steady home. Mm-hmm. I didn't know where I was going home to, you know, during that time. Mm-hmm. I lived in five different locations. Again, my junior year of, of uh, high school, I was living with my, my grandmother. Mm-hmm. She developed Alzheimer's disease. Damn. My mom was on her way out of prison. You know, my little brother was on his way to prison. My older brother was not coming back around. He was gang-banging. My older sister was on crack cocaine. Mm-hmm. My mom came out of prison, was not trying to do the right thing, but she couldn't find a job. So she turned to selling drugs to take care of us. In the middle of my senior year of high school, she ended up getting busted for selling drugs and sent back to prison again. And I'm sitting out there as a senior in high school wondering, where am I going to sleep at tonight? A friend of the family came through and said, you can sleep on my floor, but you got to be out come May. You know? And I struggled, man. I mean, I had so much stuff going on outside of school that 
I could not really focus on school. That was you was had more personal. You had more personal things to think yeah. of instead of your, your books or whatever. I was in survival like mode. Absolutely. Exactly. exactly. I was trying to live. And I, I was also trying, this is when the, the movie Boys in the Hood came out. Mm. So it was my senior of high school. And Ricky, our lives were parallel. He was he was with brothers who were gang members, and my brothers were gang members. And he was trying to go off to college and he ended up getting shot and killed at the end of that movie. And I remember to myself thinking to me and my buddy, me and my buddy were watching that movie. He was like, man, T, that's your life. And I'm like, relate to that. We, we were in the movie theater crying, man. It was like, man, you got to be careful, man. So I was walking on eggshells, trying to figure out stuff at home, trying to make sure I wasn't going to end up, you know, dying from some senseless violence in my neighborhood outside the household, trying to balance school. And then I also was, a, um, I had my, my senior, I was senior in high school. My girlfriend at the time was pregnant too. So I was about mm. to be a teenage father. So I had all these different dynamics going on um, in my world that was crazy. And, 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 you know, my son, my girlfriend at the time, um, I wanted a baby because I had so much stuff going on. And I wanted something to love. I really right. didn't want something okay. to love. Uh, we hear that happening with girls oftentimes, but I was a boy and I wanted something to love. And it wasn't so much that I loved my girlfriend as much as I loved the idea of having a kid. Mm. And had a, became a father at the age of 18, had no idea what that was going to entail. And, and it was far more than I thought. I love my son dearly, but, you know, having a, a son at the age of 18 was a lot, though. You know. Right, right, right. But it set your mindset different. Am I right? Yeah. And you, you, you definitely had to be more responsible. You took a took your sacrifice to go to college, yeah. and had, did your son go go with you? Your son, did Jake my son and his mother, they they were they were in, um, my high school sweetheart. She stayed back in Denver, so that was tough, you know, because I was away five years, and uh, couldn't really be there for him like I wanted to, uh, because I was committed to um, college athletics. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, that's what I want to do, Dr. Watson. I just want to make this short, but I want to ask you a couple of questions on there since people are here and I appreciate your time. Absolutely. So how did you overcome and give us two or three tips of someone who's, who's going through something similar where, you know, they, they got all these challenges, especially people of that age, 18 years old and old or, or younger, because you taught, what was the grades that you taught as a principal? What did, no, I was an elementary school principal. So Okay. I, yeah, so kids, you know, going through it. But you keep in mind, though, by the time I was in third grade, man, I was ready to join the local gang in my neighborhood, man, the Crips, you know, because I went through so much. You know, I've you know, been through so many foster homes and crisis centers, and I was, I was a pretty hopeless kid at, the, at third grade, you know. And um, by seventh grade, we got kicked out of our house in front of all of our friends and had to move into our seventh motel room where we stayed my entire eighth grade year school. I mean, literally, we got kicked out of our house, and they threw everything we owned into the front yard in front of all my friends. And then later on that evening, we couldn't stop the folks from the neighborhood going and taking our stuff. We had to just kind of go down the road, man, and, and pack up, go to the next, pack up what we could and go to the motel room, man. So it, it was uh, it was tough and crazy, man. man and, you know, um, you endured, man. You yeah. Endure, man. So I don't know what I hear that background. So can you give, I'm going to cut this short here because of your time on there. What are a couple of tips? How did you overcome? What would you advise someone who's going to do Absolutely. So I, I tell people, man, you know, if, you know, if you're going to be an overcomer, overcome obstacles, man, one, you got to, you got to be hopeful. Okay. You got to believe that in the end you can win because here's the funny thing about the mind. When I was in that motel room, Nicholas, and we were, it was nine of us. Keep us in mind. It was nine of us in one room. Two you didn't say that. You didn't say that. Nine people, wow. Yes. Wow. Six of more adults who were using drugs. Hmm. And me and my little brother and little sister left to fend for ourselves. It was two beds in one bathroom. There was never a time in that motel room where I said, this is going to be my future. 
I wasn't quite sure what my future was going to be, though. But I said, there's never going to be a time this could be my future. So the first thing you have to do, you have to, you have to remain, you have to have a sense of hope that you can do something different. So when I got a chance to go out to this private suburban Denver high school, which was a game changer for me, um, during the eighth grade year of school, I lived in a motel room. I ended up turning my grades around. I got better grades. I ended up winning the Colorado Citizenship Award. I came to one-on-one basketball champ in my school, became a wrestling champ in my school, all while living in a motel room. So when you have hope, hope conditions your mind to start figuring out the how. Okay. So you start with the hope, believe that something can work out for you. Your mind will start going to the how. But the moment you believe that you can't win, the mind will come up with subconscious reasons why you're going to fail. So that's one thing you have to do. The other thing you have to do, you got you to get to a place, man, where you're okay, where you learn how to adjust to change. My grandmother used to say all the time, she said, boy, there's two mm-hmm. things that are constant in this world, change and more change. Right. We got to be proactive about embracing change and letting letting you know, our, ourselves and the surrounding know that change can be good sometimes. That's right. You know, if we adjust to it the way we need to, because change is meant to do one of two things. It's made to, it's, it's there to make you different and to modify you. So whether that difference is positive or negative depends on how we embrace it when we're going through it. So we got to look at change in terms of being proactive about saying, okay, you know what, what's my vision here? What are the things that I value? How am I going to keep moving forward with it? What am I learning from this situation here? How can I help some other people while I'm going through it? And then lastly, I, I call it, um, you got to have corner office confidence. And what that is, is it's less about having oh, corner. What is corner, that called? You got to have corner office confidence. Corner office confidence, okay. And that's less about having the corner offices and more to do with the confidence that it takes to have the corner office. So that means that when, when you're going through things, you have to believe that one, you're worthy of getting to the corner office. You deserve it. You put in the work. You put in the time. Okay. You got to also be willing to celebrate those that are ahead of you. So when, when right. I was going through my tough times and, you know, I would celebrate the folks around me who were doing well. You know what I'm saying? You got to be willing to work harder than everyone else. You can't expect to, to be successful and do great things by doing just the bare minimum. You got to be willing to outwork everyone else. I'm a hard worker. I get up every morning between 3, 30, 4 o'clock, man. Mm. I'm on it. Right. I grind. I grind, right. I grind, I grind, I grind, I grind, I right. grind. That's right. You cannot stop doing that. And then you, you got to be a person who's, who's, man, who's willing to maximize the resources that you have. So sometimes we think, I need more, I need more, I need more. Mm-hmm. But what, you got. Is, what are you doing with what you got? That's right. You got to maximize right. what you got. You can't expect to get more. That's right. So those are some things that you can really do. Man, you got to have hope. You got to embrace change. You got to have that corner office confidence, which is, you know, simply just believing in yourself. And that's, it's a little thing about believing in yourself, having a vision. You know, uh, the Bible says where there's no vision, the people perish. Right. Have to have a vision for yourself. Got to have a vision for your kids. Got to have a vision for your community. Got to have a vision for all those things around you because without it, we perish. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. But I love that corner office confidence so yeah. don't basically don't be hating on them who made that you know what I mean? right. you just keep doing what you do and right. give as it was saying i always say give it shall be given man build a bridge as i told you before man my blessings gonna come regardless so you right. know blessings come in different times but if yeah. i can help build a bridge with you it's gonna happen man so that that, that stood out that corner office confidence yes you know, it's out there abundance is out there don't never worry about abundance That's right gentlemen. Keep going. And I, I tell people, man, whatever it is you're striving to, to do, you have to be it first, okay? And then you do, 
and then you have. That's right. So I'm gonna say that again. You have to be it first mentally, and then you do the work. That's right. You have the results that you're seeking. That's right. But whatever it is that you're trying to be, whether it be a doctor, lawyer, millionaire, whatever thing else, it's not a place that you're trying to get to physically. It's a place you have to come to mentally first. Right, right. right. Then everything else. Apply it. Your hard get work. out there and apply it. Exactly. No, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's what yeah. my that's what my um shirt and everything I got on there is perfect doing. It's the opposite. People want to no. do perfect. Mine's is called perfect doing. Just yeah. do that step. Make make a free roll step. Don't be afraid to fail. Just make yeah. that step. And then you got experience. And yeah. you cut your time and you got progress. People don't realize that. Perfect you doing. And I tell people, you have to do in order to have, but you don't have to have in order to do. do. That's right. <laughs> if I had a head clap, man, I'd be clapping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. That's so true, man. All about mindset, baby. Everything starts with the mindset. And me come overcoming everything I went through as a kid in Denver, Colorado, in the Five Points area, man, had everything to do with developing a mindset of that was not going to be my future. You know what I'm saying? And striving to try to get to the NFL, and like you mentioned before, I became a principal after I got hurt playing football, but I was always striving to do something different. So keep your goals out there, man. Keep going. Keep your goals high and don't stop fighting until you get there. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. So that leads to this, Dr. Uh, Watson. What you got any um, last words or tips or what you got going now? When, when is your movie coming out of books? Give us a plug. So my book is called A Face of Courage. If people are interested in uh, picking that book up, you can go to tawatson.com or either Amazon or anyone else, anywhere else. Uh, you can definitely look up more of my story at tawatson.com. The movie is called Resilient Below Poverty now. I'm in the process of pitching that to uh, executives in, in Hollywood and uh, Atlanta right now. So nothing's okay. filled in terms of deal yet, but, you know, I'm, I'm still – persevering and keeping going, keeping believing and moving forward that something will happen at some point in time. So I'll definitely keep you guys abreast on that piece though, but definitely get out there and uh, grab my book, Face of Courage or Resilience of Champions. Keep yourself motivated and um, keep yourself pumped up and so you can become a better resilient you. Well, hey, Dr. Watson. Hey, I appreciate the time. I know I, it got, we, we got to get you coming back when you get your movie, man. We got to have Absolutely. you back here, man, for sure. Yeah. So, Ladies and gentlemen, you will see his information on here on, on this video. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening in, I'm going to have a link added there also. So before I go, as I said before, don't condemn, don't complain, because you have a choice to make a change. Thanks for watching. and Have a great day. Thanks for joining us on the Nicholas Brown Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, www.nickbrowninc.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you like this show and you are a new real estate investor, then check out one of Nicholas's free reports called the Wholesale Dominator Report. Also located on our website, www.nickbrownie.com slash free reports. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. And remember, don't condemn, don't complain, because you have a choice to make a change. Have a great day.